Welcome to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Ann Taylor McNeese, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I also love Jesus, and I'm passionate about all things gospel and therapy. I created Soul Grit to be at the intersection of mental health and Christian faith. Christ followers need a place to ask questions and get answers about mental health. Join me as we dive into real stories and real questions from people who want to honor God with their hearts, souls, and minds. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Anne, and I'm here today with my friend Brenna Rubio. And I've known Brenna since my Stanford days, so she can remember me as a teenager. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And But she's here today as like my guest and as a pastor of a church in Long Beach, right? Yeah. Yeah. A sweet little church called City Church of Long Beach. Well, welcome, Brenna. I would like you to introduce yourself a little bit. What would you yeah. like to share with us about you? Oh man. Yeah. So I am, I am a pastor. As you just said, I'm a co-pastor, which, you know, not everybody uh, is kind of aware of that as a model, but it just means that uh, my friend and co-pastor Bill White, we share leadership equally together, bringing in different gifts to the church where we serve at. And yeah, it, like I said, it's, it's a pretty small, quirky little congregation, which we (laughs) love. We actually, we actually are hoping never to get too big. You know, that there's this sense of like, there's there's a lot of freshness and um, kind of freedom in having a small church and really just getting to have this really, I mean, the word organic used to be used too much yeah. around churches. I haven't heard it as much lately, but I'm like, oh, you know, now that it's like not a trend anymore, I feel like I can reclaim it and say like, it there actually is some like cool stuff about like having this really organic, like whatever gifts you bring, that's the kind of church we'll be. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, um, as I said, I've known you for a long time. We haven't had much contact in our adult lives, but well, I guess we were adults, yeah. met, but like, like grown up. <laughs> we, we were those like sort of just like prototypes of it, or the adults we were going to be at that point. Yeah. When I was in probably my junior year of college, you got married to your mm-hmm. husband, Israel, who very early we were babies. Yeah. So also a great friend. And I remember attending your wedding. And do you remember what was special about that? <laughs> I remember that you caught my flowers that I'd had in my hair. Like that was what I used for my toss. And then you did, in fact, get engaged pretty soon afterwards. I did. What what month was your wedding in? Uh, May. Okay. And I got engaged in July. So yes, like it worked in that it case. It worked. I mean, that's <laughs> like that old wives tale superstition kind of thing, but in our case it worked. Mm-hmm. You got married, then I got engaged. So thanks. Absolutely. <laughs> no worries. No worries. I think it may have somewhat worked for, you know, my husband too. He threw a baseball because I thought the garden oh, yeah. thing was really strange, yeah, um, yeah. but he threw a baseball and I, I think it might've taken a couple more years, but I do think <laughs> the guy who caught it was like probably the next to get married. <laughs> That's so funny. And we were also babies. So mm-hmm. here's to getting married young. <laughs> Sometimes it works. <laughs> and you're also a mom of four little ones. Well, yes. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I'm still not sure how that happened, but yeah. Number three turned out to be number three and four. Yes. So, twin mama. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I remember the other time um, we had contact in our grown-up lives was when I sent you my cloth diapers. So we went through that adventure. Oh, <laughs> yes. 
Yes, absolutely. And then I had twins and said, okay, there are a few things that I can simplify. Yeah. I'm sorry, earth, but this is one of them. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Well, good times. I wanted to invite you here to talk today because there's this buzzword that depending mm. on what side of Christianity you kind of land on, you may be familiar with it or maybe not, because Mm -hmm. I've talked to some people recently who don't know this term deconstruction, but Mm -hmm. it's your bread and butter. So it is my bread and butter. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wanted to invite you here. And when we were having our discussion ahead of time for this conversation we're going to have today, you mentioned to me that you were concerned that my audience is going to be more theologically conservative than you are. And Mm -hmm. I said, Brenna, I don't care because (laughs) I I mean, I do care that my audience is conservative, (laughs) but I don't, I don't mind having different kinds of voices here on the podcast. Right, right. Well, and you know, that part of my concern, even with that, is that sometimes it feels like people want us to be angry at each other, if we're on different sides, or maybe we might even say like kind of approaches. I like the word approach, right? Because it's a little bit more like we're on a journey, right? This is where we currently are, Mm -hmm. right? And this is where we're starting from and and we're all in movement, right? But so the worry was like, hey, Anne, if we have like a, just like a good conversation, right? Like, is it going to offend people almost like that you weren't rougher? you know, on on the heretic. I didn't straighten you out, huh? (laughs) Right? Yeah. Okay. So I guess I'm just like pre-empting this conversation with this (laughs) just disclaimer that Brenna and I have different theology. Mm -hmm. However, the parts that we agree on are loving God, Jesus is the way to salvation, and we love people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Love Jesus, love people. I mean, at the very bare bare, bare bones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure there's more that we actually agree on, but those are, su- those are the foundational truths that we can agree that Jesus is the way and that people are here for us to love. And your expression of that is probably going to be different than mine. I, mm-hmm. I described to you that I, while I'm theologically conservative, I'm more socially liberal than maybe some others who hold my same theology. Mm-hmm. Whereas you are, I think you called yourself a progressive. Is that how you described it? You know, it's really weird. We're all still trying to figure out the nomenclature right now. Like, how do we actually, like, what is this thing? Uh, Yeah, I think sometimes people like we could, we could talk about being a progressive Christian. I think that's one way. I'm, I'm becoming more and more like there's something about the term post evangelical that is, I think in some ways just kind of honoring of like, like even like, hey, our story, Ian, like we we have this same actual kind of starting place. Yeah. Right. And, and to be able to kind of name like, yeah, that was sort of like what I grew up in mm-hmm. spiritually. And there are actually still pieces of it that I really am like, I love, yeah. you know, and that even makes this like today, like a friendly conversation, right? Like this is me reaching back to what was my community. And in some ways I actually still feel some sadness that I actually feel a little bit like, I don't think the community wants me, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and so it's not just that I'm sort of leaving, I sort of am, you know, but, but also this feeling of the community wanted me to move on a little bit too, mm-hmm. you know, but, but so I, what I like about that term post-evangelical is that it at least honors kind of the story and yeah, the, the almost like heritage, right? The history. Yep. Yeah. That's a good yep. word. So tell me a little bit why you think evangelical has become kind of a bad word lately. (laughs) Oh, even when I claimed the term evangelical more, more firmly for myself, right. I think all along I've had some concern, right. Of just like how, 
I'm going to put myself back in the we for now, right? I'm going to put myself back in, in my sort of evangelical shoes and say, oh, how we do this in so many ways, you know, how we sometimes try to present ourselves as answer people, you know, as opposed to people who are comfortable with questions yes. and exploration, you know, I, and, the, and the damage that that can do to actual relationships. Mm. You know, I, I think that's been a problem for a long time. I think in the current season, there's also just all sorts of um, just awareness around, hey, what does it mean to follow Jesus in some of these bigger social issues, right? So, so what you're talking about, right? So, hey, socially, I might actually be kind of progressive. And so I think a lot of people asking questions saying like, if you follow Jesus, and, and if we actually take this Jesus that we read about in the Bible seriously, how can you then turn around and do all these other things or say these things, embrace these political agendas? So I think just there's this sort of like wrestling with this like tension between the Jesus of the Bible and the ways that some evangelicals are following Jesus in the public yeah. sphere. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, how, do, how do you resonate with that? I mean, does yeah, that feel I mean, to you? I think I had probably a more positive experience of evangelicalism than most people. I had really healthy parents who kind of did their work of figuring out like, Mm-hmm. So we believe this church stuff or the, this doesn't work or, you know, mm-hmm. and they raised me to be comfortable with questions and to mm-hmm. really dig into the word of God to find my answers. And knowing that my experience was mostly positive, even like with purity culture and the, like other things that people are saying, oh, this is this is a not good part of uh, Christianity. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, actually, it worked for me. <laughs> you know, you. Yeah. 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 And so. I've had a positive experience, but I think maybe my experience, like living in the Bay area, attending Stanford, attending another, my seminary in the Bay area, being a therapist, being exposed to other people who are dealing with the hurts and wounds of, of humankind, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's made me more aware of the hurt that, that has been done in the name of Christianity or of evangelicalism. And so Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, you know, Nadia Boltz Weber has this wonderful image that she uses in her book called Shameless Mm -hmm. and talks about like when you're flying over, you know, you're, you're flying and you see like crop circles, Mm -hmm. right. And that for the longest time, she didn't know where those came from, you know, that you see these perfectly laid out fields and there's like the center green circle and then the edges that are brown. And I mean, to realize that there's, you know, the fact that the irrigation system is set that way, right? So there's a circle that get watered and then there's the brown edges. And she has this great visual saying like, this is kind of what the church is, Mm -hmm. uh, the evangelical church in particular, that there is a big area, you know, that the water hits. And so if it works for you, it works for you. Mm -hmm. But what about those people on the edges and in the corners? And, and shouldn't we listen to their voices and shouldn't we? concerned about their experiences. And so, as you said, this is my bread and butter because the kind of people who tend to come to city church, Long Beach are the people either in the corners themselves or people that they love and care about are in the corners Mm -hmm. and they just refuse to go to a church that doesn't minister to them. That isn't welcoming and helpful for for the people on the margins. 
That's a really great image. And like, for me, I was a person in the green circle. I mean, I'm yeah. hetero, cisgendered, white woman, intelligent, good education, like all of the things. Educated, stable family. Yeah. yeah. I have all the things to benefit me. And so I didn't have to be in that brown edge, but Mm -hmm. I think as I've gone, gotten older and exposed to more things, I become more aware of those edges and the people that need to be cared for outside of the irrigation system. Yeah. And, and this Jesus that we follow, he always went to the edges. Yeah. It was the brown spots that he specialized in. Mm Yeah. Yeah. One reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you today is because I've been in this series on church hurt, which ended up being much longer than I actually intended it for to be just because there are so many stories. Like you can't meet Isn't that amazing? a Christian without hearing a church hurt story if you dig. And I was actually talking to one of my daughter's teachers and he said something like, everybody's been hurt by the church, whether they're a Christian or not. And I was like, Whoa, he's right. You know, because even the people who have never set foot in a church still can tell you their experience of church hurt, which I'm sure many of the people in your congregation could tell you about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when people are hurt by the church, sometimes often what happens is that they have to ask questions and they have to go through this process called deconstruction because they see, okay, there's this Jesus in the Bible and he's this, this, and this. And then there's this church experience, which just doesn't line up because Mm -hmm. how could I be so wounded if this, Mm -hmm. they're following this Jesus who's so loving. So sometimes what people do is have to break down some of the questions and traditions. And so that's a lot of times deconstruction is the logical consequence of church hurt. So I wanted you to come on and tell us what is deconstruction? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's such a good question. And you know, you're, you're absolutely right about where it comes from in many cases, you know, in some ways I feel like I just want to start by normalizing it. Mm -hmm. Like one, like that whole, like the church hurting people, well, relationships hurt, like Mm -hmm. in my closest relationships in the world, right? Like we hurt each other. Like that's just, you, you can't, put two people together and have them being honest, like in any kind of intimacy and have them not hurt each other. But of course we don't say that flippantly, like we don't care. Right. We say it like, and and then we try to learn and we try to, we try to do better and we try to figure out, you know, how not to hurt. So similarly though, like we could actually kind of normalize the process of deconstruction and say like, this is actually how we, we learn you know, this is how we grow. This is how we develop that process of like even discipleship, Mm -hmm. you know, that like you and I, that was our context, right. That we first kind of met in was this like, Oh, how can we grow, you know, intentionally, there's actually a really normal pathway and cycle for that where you receive some truths. And at first you do it uh, in this really just, it's just, it's easy. Right. Like, so sometimes I talk about people with the metaphor of cooking, right? So I love teaching my kids how to cook. Yeah. Uh, and so the first thing you do with your kids, right. It's just this, it's this stage one, what we call D one, sometimes discipleship one is this very, like I'm doing it and I'm letting you watch. Mm-hmm. I do you watch. Right. And it's very simple and very black and white and easy. And we do that faith wise too right? Like this is the Bible. This is how you read it. This is Jesus, you know, and here's some truths. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the way very simple and easy. And people are usually very enthusiastic. Mm. Then it's actually normal to hit the stage where it gets harder. Mm. 
where we start saying, hey, I'm going to give some of this to you. You know, you're actually going to have to crack the eggs, son. You know, you're going to have to learn how to use some knife skills, like in the kitchen. Hey, now in the spiritual realm, like we're going to start running into some questions. We're going to get hurt by people and have to wrestle it through. We're going to read something that didn't fit our previous worldview. Right. And like, we're going to, we're just going to have some questions and it's actually normal, a normal part of the maturing process to walk through that. The problem I think is when you don't realize that, Mm -hmm. you know, when people are telling you like faith means not asking questions, Mm. you know, faith means don't doubt. Faith means stay in D1 where it's kind of safe and black and white instead of like, no, this is actually, this is what it means to grow up, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that's actually where a lot of like the, the damage and the hurt comes from is this feeling of like, I'm not allowed to ask questions. I don't know where to go with my questions. People treat me like I'm a heretic or like I'm, I'm backsliding. You know, I don't have faith if I ask questions it actually ends up sort of pushing people. It, it compounds the hurt. It pushes them out. If that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. And because I've heard from a lot of people, like, like people that I go to church with, they know that I have a seminary background and all of that. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes and it's nice have someone with some seminary training. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes I'll get a question from somebody who will say, Hey, I tried to ask this of my pastor and I didn't get an answer. Yeah. Or I've been wrestling with this and I don't really know who to go to to get answers for this. Mm-hmm. And they'll ask me. And of course, and maybe this is my therapy training too, is my uh, response is not usually to give an answer, but to help people know how to find the answer. <laughs> it's so good, right? And yeah. so the difference, right? Like that what they're probably telling you is, is not that though, right? It's not just that, hey, my my pastor challenged me to think for myself. Mm-hmm. My, my, my pastor offered to walk with me in the questions, mm-hmm. the way that you're offering. What they're saying is my pastor was threatened mm-hmm. by the questions, right? My yeah. pastor maybe didn't know the answer or didn't like, you know, that his answer, usually it's going to be his, mm-hmm. was being challenged, you know, questioned in some way. Cause I'm with you, you know, I still have people usually from other contexts, right? So, so not, but sometimes it's just people who are kind of in the, the beginning stages of their deconstruction journey and they'll come, you know, and want me to give them the answer and something or tell them if something is simple, something like that, you know, and I'm like, man, those are just aren't questions I ask anymore. Yeah. Like we can have such, we can have an interesting conversation here. The last one. Well, I probably shouldn't say the details, but anyway, you know, just a question of someone saying like, tell me if this is sin or not, you know, just like, Hey, let's, let's have a broader conversation. Like, tell me what you're looking for as you, you think about this thing and tell me how it operates in your life, you know, and like, give me the story. Right. And then I'd love to walk with you in the question as you actually connect with God, connect with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. Like what, why? Why am I the sin police? Why am I the answer person? <laughs> right? the <pastor>. like, <laughs> I think that's how we've defined yeah. the role of pastors. And even I think that's part of where the defensiveness comes from. The pastor thinks that's their job. Mm-hmm. Instead of being able to like say, like, can I do it differently? Can I walk yeah. with you differently? Well, that's like you were saying, it's kind of beautiful to have a small church where you can have the capacity to talk with people and actually know them versus Mm -hmm. in a large church that a lot of times, like I've never shaken my pastor's hand. I mean, we're at a new church, so 
previously we were really close to our pastors in this Mm -hmm. context, uh, I'm at a big church and I don't know him. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's nice, right? There are seasons where like (laughs) actually go to a big church, you know, sort of needing a little bit more distance. Yes. And that's, that's why we're there at this time in our lives. Mm -hmm. But if I didn't know how to find the answers to questions or to how, I mean, sometimes it's not really even the answer. It's just being able to wrestle with it. Then who would I go to? And and that's what a lot of Christians yeah. are up against. Oh, I think so. Right. Like, and, and that's what I think, again, like the, the deconstruction journey, like if we could, if, if we, and again, I'm going to put myself back in the evangelical church. If we, I think if we could embrace the questions, embrace the journey a little bit more, I think people would like, it just wouldn't hurt as much if we could say like, actually, this is a safe place for questions. Yeah. Right. And like, we actually see that as like part of following Jesus and part of, of the faith journey. Um, Anne Lamott has this, this great quote, and I'm not going to remember all of it, but she basically says the opposite of faith is not doubt, but, but certainty, certainty Uh completely misses the point. Yeah. I love that right? Because it's like faith has to have some room for questions and mystery. Like mm-hmm. you can fit God into a box that you've made. Like what kind of God is that? Not big enough for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Like I tell people all the time, like I'm a first Corinthians 13 kind of Christian. And I don't mean like the cheesy love passage. I mean, the part at the end where it says like, now we see in a mirror dimly, then yeah. we shall see face to face. Like, can we not just admit we're seeing dimly? Yeah. We're seeing, but it, you know, I mean, as we talk today, you're going to get stuff wrong and I'm going to get stuff wrong and great. I think God's big enough to cover that, yeah. but yeah. let's love together. Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of times, um, just going back to this, like progressive versus conservative mm-hmm. reading of the Bible. I think that's what it comes down to is because we read the same Bible, mm-hmm. but we, have different lenses and we interpret the scripture differently. And based on how you interpret the scripture, that's going to show you how you're going to live. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I actually love that you brought in the idea of lenses Hmm. because sometimes to me, like that's actually one of my bigger friendly critiques of evangelicalism is that there can be this like sense of reading the scripture lens free of just like, I can open up the Bible and just see mm-hmm. what it means. And, and anybody else can do that too, versus acknowledging, like we come in with lenses. Mm-hmm. And so we actually need to listen to other people with different lenses yeah. so that together it's like that, you know, the old fable of the, the blind men and the elephant, yeah. right? <laughs> of like we're each seeing a different piece mm-hmm. and we listen to each other to try and get, yeah. get a deeper understanding Right. And it's actually surprising that that is hard to wrap our minds around because (laughs) when we read the Bible, like how many times have you been in a sermon where the pastor said, now this was an agricultural society and what you need to know about an agricultural society. Mm -hmm. And we go, oh yeah, we don't live on a farm now. So I don't maybe know what it's like to get it field, you know? And so we're already having to do that kind of translation from a different cultural experience to our own cultural experience, but then we don't necessarily account for people from different parts of the world or people whose skin looks different from us or whose family background is different than us. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just don't, 
right? And like, you know, for so many pastors going through seminary, even, right? Like you take theology classes mm-hmm. and you take Bible classes, but the theology classes, you know, there's theology one, theology two, theology three. And then if you're really bold, And if you're one of those, you know, controversial types, you might be able to find a small group of other people who are willing to read feminist theologies with you or African-American theologies, liberation theologies. They're the ones with the adjectives, right? Because those are the ones that have lenses put to them. But theology one, theology two, and theology three, those are the sort of unfiltered theology, right? Instead of saying, no, those are the white male Eurocentric yeah. theologies Bingo. Right? <laughs> like we're not acknowledging our lenses yeah so you know I didn't I didn't grow up in a particular denomination I am part of a denominational church right now and ordained through a denomination but even that way I, part of what I I grew to love I've grown to love is this sort of like embodied in that is this acknowledgement of like yeah we're interpreting in a particular way in a particular tradition instead of just like the Bible said it, I believe it. Well, okay. What did the Bible say? And how did you get there? Right. Yeah. 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 Well, okay. So not to get into the weed (laughs) of theology. So you're (laughs) defining deconstruction as ask a natural part of development and being able to ask questions about what you believe. Is there more to it? Yeah. Okay. So let's think of a picture. I've think about it sometimes with Lego sets, Uh, a friend this morning I was texting and she was thinking more in terms of Jenga and that's pretty good too. Right. So there's a sense that the first stage, right. Is just this sort of building up, right. And you, you build this structure and this is how, this is the way knowledge kind of works. A lot of times in evangelical churches and evangelical theology, we do have this sense. I mean, I think even today we've used the word foundational, right. That you build in this sort of layer upon layer kind of way. And if you're thinking foundationally, it gets really like, if you start asking certain questions, you're worried that the whole structure is going to fall. Right. So think about that Jenga tower, mm-hmm. right? Like you have to be really, really careful. Like which, which brick am I going to pull out? And is the whole thing going to collapse? And sometimes it does work like that, right? Like people feel like, oh my gosh, like I pulled this wrong brick. And, and so the whole thing, I mean, the deconstruction was like, a wrecking ball to my face. And so there's a reason that their loved ones from the side are going like, wow, it looks like they're really struggling. And it looks like deconstruction is horrible and awful. Right. But I would suggest that deconstruction doesn't have to be that way. If from the beginning we said, Hey, some remodeling is going to (laughs) happen like that. This is just normal. You know, you're going to build it, you know, and, and sometimes you're just going to be able to like, easily switch out some bricks, right? You know, no big deal, right? No. And other times you're going to go, wow, this really isn't working for me. And I've got to like, I've got to do a, make a more significant kind of effort where I'm going, all right, here, here are the pieces, which ones stay, you know, where do I need to pull in some new bricks from some new sources, you know, that, that it almost becomes more of a natural kind of like problem solving approach, right? With your faith. But if we don't tell people that in advance, and if, if, some of us who haven't already kind of gone on the journey aren't around to, mm-hmm. to give company, mm-hmm. you know, and to say like, it's okay. I know it's feeling like you're really stuck right here, but oh, you've got some interesting bricks there, right? Like let's, let's keep going. It's all right. Another friend this morning said, Hey, what I think people really miss about deconstruction 
is that it's only one step of the process. It's the one that gets all the buzz, yeah. this word of deconstruction. But the next phase is reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And I think the phase after that is where you realize that you're always going to be in that process, that there's always going to be a little bit of deconstruction and a little bit of reconstruction mm-hmm. and a little bit of deconstruction, a little bit of reconstruction. Like that, that's actually just what growth is like. That's yeah. what learning is like. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just thinking about the, the words we use, like the construction kind of words, they remind me, you know, of building. And I was mm-hmm. thinking there's a difference between deconstruction and demolition, right? Yes. <laughs> and, and a lot of people experience it as demolition. Yes. True, and I think don't have to. That's what I think that's what you're getting at is that if you have somebody to kind of like accept you and walk through it with you and ask questions with you, you can do deconstruction like we do, like say when you're remodeling the bathroom, you're changing one small part of your house to make it better, Mm -hmm. but you're not like taking a wrecking ball to the whole house. Yeah. Now, but let's extend that metaphor a little bit. What you will find though, right? is that once you finish that project in your bathroom, all of a sudden, like you're looking at your living room and going, hmm. This needs updating. <laughs> right? Like, so there is this ripple effect, yeah. uh, which I think is a lovely thing, which I think is, is awesome. One other thing just to throw in there, let's shift metaphors. Cause okay. here's another one, um, you know, that in some, this is one that I learned in seminary and I found really, really helpful. Is like, what if there's an alternative completely? to this building metaphor where it's like kind of this foundational picture, mm-hmm. you know, where here are root beliefs. And um, like, I would say like an evangelicalism, for instance, like inerrancy mm-hmm. might be one of those, right. That we just say, here's the root and we can't. And that would be a Jenga block for me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. And a key one, like not like at yeah. top, but down yeah. at the bottom where if you yeah. pull that thing out, right. The whole thing may crumble. This other picture that we could use would be a spider web. Okay. And with a spider web, it's a lot more flexible. Mm-hmm. right? Like there's just this, there's this resiliency to a spider web. And so with the spider web, instead of talking about a foundation, we might talk about a center, mm-hmm. right? The center is where like the really, really important stuff is the stuff that you feel like this is like, I mean, this is, this is key to how I understand the world, how I understand my faith. Like this is, these are my core, my core values or my core beliefs, right? And then there's a lot of other stuff around the edges that's a little bit more easy to negotiate, right? Mm-hmm. So the further in we get to the center, like it's it's going to take more work to rearrange things, right? To like fix problems, you know, if there's a hole there, but it's still possible and the whole web isn't going to collapse mm-hmm. every time, you know, a new question kind of comes up, but, but you start with that center, right? And so... I just find that really helpful sometimes to kind of say, Hey, like, what are, what are my centers? Yeah. Loving Jesus, loving people. And then there's a lot of like room to like weave and work and like figure out and listen to other people. And, you know, it it just, to me, sometimes feels like a more holistic and resilient picture of faith. Okay, great. I want to be mindful of time here. I want to ask you because this podcast is about mental health as well as Christian faith. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you from either your own experience or the people that you've pastored along the way, what is the mental health impact of deconstruction? Yeah. Well, first there's the loneliness piece. I think we've, we've hit at that a little bit and, and that sense of isolation, you know, I can remember, you know, it was probably at least six years ago 
now is I was, I was committing to entering in an intentional conversation around human sexuality Mm -hmm. right with my, with my church and sitting down and talking with a friend who I knew was much more theologically conservative than me. And she was like a sister to me. I mean, this was, this was a deep friendship. And, and I just remember crying as I was talking to her and really just kind of saying like, cause this was the fear in my heart of like, almost like coming out as someone who had questions mm. around um, how the church related uh, with LGBTQ people and saying like, Hey, if I become a flaming liberal, I think I said this, if I become a flaming liberal, will you still love me? Mm. And I think that's actually what a lot of people when they start having their questions, they really do worry. And, and I'm not, I don't think it's always unfounded. I mean, my friend that day was incredible and we, she has walked with me and she still loves me though. I am probably at least in some people's perspectives, <laughs> like she, she loves me. Right. And, and I love her and, and we're making this relationship, uh, this friendship work, but, but I do think, you know, people have that question. And, and it's not coming from nowhere, you know, in their, in their experiences in the church. And that matters because anything that we feel, I mean, you know, this is the therapist, anything that's hidden becomes toxic, mm-hmm. becomes full of shame, right? Like even things that actually shouldn't, you know, don't have to be a big deal. Like if we feel like we have to hide it, there's a good chance, you know, that it's, it's going to become a place of, of damage and shame in our lives. Um, so I think that's, that's a major part of the mental health Mm -hmm. aspect of like, if we think about it in terms of like grief, right? Like a grieving journey. I actually think people are grieving, you know, the loss of maybe a more um, innocent Mm -hmm. faith, you know, like a a simpler faith. That's a good, yeah. Yeah, A simpler faith. They're grieving the loss of that. They're grieving who they were when they held that faith. And so how do we walk with people in that, that grieving journey and make space for them to grieve and even just be transformed by that. Yeah. And you mentioned the loneliness and isolation, and I would imagine in most areas of the country, it would be really hard to find people to walk with you through that. Now, if you live in Southern California, there's some options, right? Even here, not so many. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I imagine that feeling like you are the only person who has the questions and that you have to keep that hidden, you you would grieve the loss of community as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 You're, and you're like, like my story with my friend, right. You're worried about what it's going to mean for your relationships Mm -hmm. moving forward. Right. Well, will every family holiday become awkward (laughs) because you're, you're holding things differently and you, you see things differently. And um, yeah, I'm like, what, what about all those friendships with your small group? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if now you want to read different books, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. In your experience, have you seen like anxiety or depression or some of these, these things become more prevalent among people who are going through this? I know you're not the therapist I am, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, people talked about that. That's a good question. I mean, I think 
I mean, I think there's like a, another question around just how the church talks about mental health. And, and that's actually sometimes part of people's church hurt that brings them into like deconstruction as well. And that's why we're here. That's why we're doing right? this podcast. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I love that you're doing this podcast, right? Because like, for instance, like I've had like a small group, you know, where we were talking uh, once and, and I started what I thought. And again, I, I could have sworn like this would have come out, you know, in, I mean, it probably had like in smaller ways and they just hadn't registered it. But I, I was talking about my own struggles with anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, that I do have anxiety disorder. Um, uh, and I just, I just thought I was talking and I had these women responding. Like I've never heard a pastor oh. talk about their mental health before. I've never had a pastor acknowledge, right. That they, they have their own mental health struggles. And I was like, Oh, let me start talking about that more, (laughs) right? Like more explicitly. I get, I, you know, maybe people, when I said anxiety, they thought I meant in like a casual way. Like just worried. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. Like they didn't understand. Like I really meant no, no. Like I, you know, off medication, like I, two miles before the left turn, I start praying. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's not, that's not normal. I mean, you know, it's, it's normal for an anxious person, perhaps <laughs> with anxiety around driving. So I think really, yeah, I don't, I don't know that deconstruction um, is, is directly linked, you know, to, to more struggles with anxiety or depression. I will say, I think anxiety and depression are linked to deconstruction in the sense of creating church hurt, you yeah. know, that then people are going like, again, where is their space for me to come with People just want to be able to come to church with all of who they are, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to come honestly with their intellectual questions mm-hmm. around how to read the Bible. They want to be able to come with their social justice concerns, mm-hmm. right? And they want to be able to come with all of the little quirks and struggles that make them human. And their right? full range of emotions. They're fu- oh, their full range of emotions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our most recent sermon was about gratitude and toxic positivity. Oh, you thank know, you. Like how do you wrestle? between those. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm, oh, and it was such a good conversation, right? There's so much tease out there. Yeah. Right. There, yeah, there is. And (laughs) that could be a whole another conversation. Right. Right. But so in this case, just to say like, I think deconstruction, I mean, it's, it's all these different sources, but we want to be able to come with our full selves, all of our emotions, all of our questions, all of our hopes, and for the church to make space for that. And I mean, I would, I would love to see the evangelical church doing that better. Mm -hmm. You know, like we, a lot of times, like it feels very much like our church is doing a lot of triage, Mm -hmm. right? Like just kind of, you know, we're, we're trying to create a lot of space for people who feel damaged um, and, and just trying to create space for the healing journey. Yeah. Yeah. So in the, in the same way, I mean, we're both healers and helpers in that way that that's why people come to see me too. Right. They want to know that I have a foundation of belief in Jesus. Yeah. But they also need a space where they can drop F-bombs if they want to and cry and ugly cry and they can rant and they can say their deepest, darkest secrets and that I'm just going to be there for the ride. (laughs) Totally. Totally. I mean, it's very similar. I'm sure like, you know, with people, they're just wondering if they're going to shock you, yeah. you know, and instead say, no, this feels like a very normal, this feels like a very normal experience. And mm-hmm. yeah. And I think in a similar way, I mean, we're very clear that we're, we're Jesus centered church, you know, that, that G- we love Jesus. We actually love scripture, preach from it every Sunday. Um, and we're going to create all the space you need to 
decide for yourselves, but clearly there's something about Jesus mm. like that, that, I mean, people, they wouldn't come to our church if they didn't sort of appreciate and want, you know, that, mm. that connection that we have and that we're kind of, I, th- I think it's always trying to create that safe space. Like, well, let us provide a safe space for you to legitimately go on your journey. And we're not going to, we're not going to predetermine or, you know, presuppose, you know, where you're going to end up at the end. Mm-hmm. We just have a lot of faith and trust in you and in, and in the God who loves you. Yeah. I, I know you have a new project and would you like to just share briefly about that and how people can find you if they're interested? Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. My co-pastor Bill White and I have started uh, a new nonprofit, nonprofit in development called small church, big table. Uh, and it's really just, especially trying to be a spot for for leaders using that term very broadly, mm-hmm. um, people who love and are passionate about the church. I say that a little bit in quote marks, right? Because many of us have kind of a complicated relationship with church, but yeah, leaders who, who love Jesus and are trying to figure out how to create kind of wider spaces, spaces where hopefully we maybe do a little bit less mm-hmm. damage, um, you know, that, that we create these kinds of communities for people where, where people can show up um, with their full selves. And we think especially a lot about uh, leadership, having had, you know, just so many conversations with, with other leaders, many of whom still would describe as evangelical, mm-hmm. right. Who are just trying to figure out like, what do they do with their questions? Like, where are their safe spaces to come and to wrestle through and, um, to say, hey, I'm, I'm not sure the way I've been taught is the way I want to move forward, right? Like what, if I want to do it differently, yeah. what might that look like? You know, that must be like, incredibly scary from a pastoral position to think like I have oh, questions and if I don't get this right, I lose my livelihood. I lose my, do I still have a calling? Like all of those things. All of those things. When you're a pastor, I mean, in, in, in some ways it's awesome, right? Your life is very integrated, mm-hmm. you know, your relationships and your job and your passions, and that can be great. But yeah, think about when those, when you start to have some questions and some doubts, it means you're threatening all of that. And um, yeah, I feel, I really feel for so many pastors because I, I think so many more are wrestling with those questions. Some of them, I think, who even really have made what they feel like they have to say on a Sunday mm-hmm. and what they actually are thinking, what they actually believe is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very difficult. That damn- does not feel integrated, does it? Yeah, it's not, I mean, disintegrated was exactly the word I was thinking about. Um, but but what do they do? And, and what does it look like to love your church? Do you love your church by asking your questions out loud? when they've always expected you to be the answer people and they want you to share particular answers, is that loving your church or do you just leave with your questions? So you don't bother people. Yeah. Right. What do you do? And that hurts too. Yeah. So pastors are in a really tricky spot right now. So on the small church, big table, you have a website and Mm -hmm. you are sharing some blogs and other resources. Yeah. Workshop, I think. So yes, we have a workshop coming up on November 17th called lead without being an a-hole. Okay. uh, Which is uh, about these different postures that leaders in the church can take towards leadership. And I mean, if anybody's curious about it, there's actually kind of like a free five page guide um, that we created with, I think kind of a fun visual. I like the visuals (laughs) kind of get you started and processing. So yeah. Good. Your church website is 
yeah, it's all linked through my, my uh, Instagram, you know, I've got a, a link tree up there. So city church of long beach, you know, if anybody would, would like to look for it. Um, yeah. And I, I wish there were more places um, for people who are in this spot and having questions, but, you know, some of the resources, you know, you'd invited me, I think in the, the Calendly form to share, you know, I, I listed one blog that we wrote and a couple others. And I'm thinking this isn't just for people who are actively deconstructing. Mm-hmm. This is if somebody you love mm-hmm. would say that they're deconstructing. Yeah. You want to be curious about what their experience is like. Yeah. Like here are some resources, you know, that maybe could give you a little little insight into the, well, world. the same, like what you said about your churches, people like maybe you're in the LGBTQ community, or maybe you love someone who is, you know, yeah. and, and so that's the kind of, maybe the same for deconstruction that maybe you're deconstructing, or maybe you love someone and you have some questions about what is this journey that they just launched. Yeah. On? And how would I walk alongside with them? Well, alongside them? Well, yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, I'm going to include some of those links in the show notes. And before we wrap up, let me ask you, what are you doing for soul care? So I just blocked out next Wednesday um, so that I will have no appointments. And my plan is to have all of my electronics shut down so that I can have, you know, a silent prayer, rest, relaxation, not being on, just being human kind Mm -hmm. of day. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things I've been talking a lot with my therapist who I see like once a month just to help me yeah. kind of stay current, you know, it's one of my spiritual practices uh, to see my therapist once a month. And we just talked a lot about embracing my limits, mm-hmm. right? Like I had this really profound moment during the pandemic where I was thinking about Genesis and Shalom. So kind of like our original kind of like who we are created to be, who we're going to be um, reformed into again, right? This kind of renewal process. And I just had this light bulb moment that even in the very beginning, like before the fall, before any sin or damage or anything, I was still, I would still have been limited, Mm. right? If if the fall and sin had never entered the world, I would still be limited. Like limits are different than sin, right? Like my creatureliness is a feature, not a bug. Uh, But I have trouble living into that right? I have to practice it deliberately to say like, I have hit the limits of my creatureliness and I need rest. I need renewal. I need silence. Yeah. So you're taking a silent day. I'm taking a silent day. I'm really looking forward to it. Okay. And going to therapy once a month. Yes. That's also, that's also huge. Gold star for mentioning that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A little plug. Yeah. We need the therapist. The pastors need the therapist too. Yeah, that's great. So, well, I just really appreciate you being here to kind of wrap up this series and to even just to come from a place of understanding what it's like to be hurt and, and that there is, um, just a wealth of options. If you have been hurt that it's not the end of the road for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your faith journey isn't over. This is actually a normal part of it. Yeah. And you've been so fun to talk with. I've really, I've really enjoyed this. I enjoyed having you too. And you're so wise and so gentle. I appreciate that and love your family. So thanks for being here. Uh, We love you too. And, you know, Israel said hi and yeah. Yeah. The Soul Grit Podcast is a production of Soul Grit Resources. You can find more at soulgritresources.com or on the socials at soulgritresources. You can email me at info at soulgritresources.com.